John Maxwell and Don Ryland quote a story in a book that they wrote called The Treasure of a Friend about two boys, Jim and Philip. Jim was just a little older than Philip, but they uh, were best friends growing up. They did everything together. They went to high school. They went to college. They joined the Marines together. And by sort of a strange, unique set of circumstances, they ended up on the same battlefield. One sweltering day during a fierce battle in Germany, amid heavy gunfire, bombing, close-quarters combat, they were given the command to retreat. And as the men were running back, Jim noticed that Philip had not returned with the others. Panic gripped his heart, and he knew that if he wasn't back in another minute or two, he probably wouldn't make it. Jim begged his commanding officer to let him go back, go after his friend. The officer, as you would expect, forbade the request, saying that would be suicide to run toward oncoming bullets. Jim disobeyed. His heart pounding, he ran into the gunfire, calling out for Philip. And then a short time later, his platoon saw him hobbling across the field, carrying a limp body in his arms. Jim's commanding officer upbraided him, shouting at him that it was a foolish thing that he did, a waste of time, an outrageous risk. And then he added, your friend is dead. There was nothing you could do. And Jim said, no, sir, you're wrong. I got there just in time. Before he died, he said, I knew you would come. Jesus' relationship with his apprentices ascended to the level of a willingness to die, not for the sake of his country, but for the sake of his friends. You know and I know that it takes a long time to develop a good, authentic friendship. For me, it helps to have images sometimes, and the one that came to my mind is the Eiffel Tower, where there are levels. And so think about that. Imagine the levels of friendship as a trip up the Eiffel Tower. Ground level would be where we meet a person. Now, you can go through any of the four legs of the tower and and take an elevator up to the first level. Now, that might be the level of acquaintance, where you're getting to know someone, you're asking questions, you're seeing if you like and trust each other so far. And if you do, you move up to another level. Now, at the Eiffel Tower, on the second level, you have to get up out of the first elevator to walk around and get on the second. But, of course, you take the time to look out where you are and you see the streets and houses and buildings of Paris. And that's sort of like the second level of friendship, too. You're getting to know each other. You're taking a look at different angles. You're asking questions like, do I respect this person? Can this person keep a secret? Or if this person met the parts of me that I don't like, would he run away? Would he support me? Now, if those questions are answered well, you might get on that next elevator to the top. 
So the friendship would move to a higher level. And just as the Eiffel Tower gets smaller as you go up, the number of people who are in that in your circle of friends, true friends, gets much smaller too. The highest level is has the fewest people, our best friends, who would run toward oncoming bullets to be with us in our suffering. As we walk through the gospel stories, we see Jesus' relationship with a small band of people go from acquaintance up a level to follower, up another level to servants and slaves, to today's powerful elevation of them to the title at the top of the tower of friend. Jesus said, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. Jesus then is emulating the one he calls father, the one whose nature is pure love without condition. We are invited to do the same. A godly man was dealing with the difficult consequence consequences of an inappropriate relationship. As many of us find that our trials bring us closer to God, this man was no different. In addition, though he had had a strong relationship with God for his entire life, the shame and pain he felt drew him closer to Jesus than ever before. He noted that Jesus had lived with temptations and hurt and therefore could relate to him. And it made him want to spend even more time basking in that healing relationship. Whose picture comes to your mind when you think of your closest friends? Or let them let their images come to your mind. And think about the qualities that you love about them. Jesus mentions quite a few qualities of deep friendship in today's gospel passage. So I just want to take a look at these, and perhaps you can think about the friends that you know and have, and also the friend that you might like to be. Abide in my love, Jesus says. Love. It's a word we use flippantly sometimes and seriously in others. It's not the fleeting romantic sense of love, but love in the commitment, active sense. Make sure the other knows that regardless of what you do, your love will remain. You abide in the love of each other. Verse 11, Jesus says, I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Often we think of Jesus in his serious side. We think of him maybe with a furrowed brow, you know, with the compassion that we read about as he heals people, as he cares for people, as he is frustrated with what happens in the temple. And yet he's talking here about joy. 
He's talking about laughter. He's talking about feeling good. Joy. Now, if someone makes us laugh, we feel joyful. And the people who can make us laugh at ourselves and us not be defensive, those are good friends. Joy. Share joy. Verse 13, he says, No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That speaks of sacrifice. Jesus knows, at this, in this chapter in John 15, he's sort of giving his departure speech to his disciples as he's preparing for Jerusalem and what's going to happen there. Trouble is coming. He's willing to lay down his life for his friends. What are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of a friend? If we give time or energy only when it's convenient for us, that doesn't count as sacrifice. If it challenges us or if it hurts us a little or a lot, if it's something that we really don't want to do, but to make the other person happy or to show our love, we do it, that's sacrifice. Verse 15 Jesus says, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. Do you hear that communication? Do you know that it's two-way? We know that in our minds. Sometimes we forget it when we're talking to each other. But we have to talk to each other. We have to be in contact with our friends. We have to know what's going on. And the same is true in our communication with God. My friend once said she went out on a date with this guy, and he didn't ask her a single question. They conversed. They talked. You know, he would talk, and, and she would respond, and they would go back and forth. But she realized at the end of the time he hadn't asked her a single question. Now, he attempted, you know, he didn't want a friendship, it sounded like. He wasn't interested in her. And similarly, our communication with God is most meaningful when it's not one-sided. If we're always asking for something or telling God something, what's on our minds, and if we don't take the time to listen to God, it will be hard to rise to a greater friendship with God. Communicate. Two-way. In verse 16, Jesus says, I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. Bear fruit. In other words, make something good come out of your friendship. Help someone together. Pray together for someone who is hurting. Go together to visit someone who's lonely. Extend your friendship to others. Bear fruit. James Thurber, an author, used to delight in reminiscing about his grandfather, who was a renowned fighter in his day. And Thurber said that when... His grandfather was on his deathbed. The preacher asked him if he had made peace with his enemies. Don't have any, he replied. 
Amazing, said the preacher. Pray tell me how you've managed to live so long without making enemies. I shot him. (laughs) Now, sometimes we have to admit that's our greatest desire. (laughs) And yet that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Instead, consider this. For the last four years, while people from Calvary and other churches have gone to Standing Rock Reservation for a week during the summer, others have wondered why we spend all that money to go that far. For those who are called to go, it's a matter of showing Christ's love to people who don't experience God's unconditional love. To people who live in a culture where domestic abuse and alcoholism are common. To show Christ's love to people who don't know what it's like to hope for something better. Through continued visits, not just going and leaving, but going and going back again and again, the Sioux people there are learning that we in the Roanoke Valley are their friends in Christ. We're not the government. We're not prejudiced against them as some of the Dakotans are, many of the Dakotans. We do not ask them to give away anything they want to keep. Relationships then with the people in the tribe have elevated from skeptical acquaintance to friendship. So much so that four members of that tribe drove an old van for two days to participate with Evelyn and Sandra and Paul and dozens of others in far southwestern Virginia for the spring mission trip. As these four had experienced the authentic love of Christ shown by Roanoke Valley Baptists, they found they wanted to share it, too. So is it not interesting that the tribal nations there are Dakota and Lakota, and those words actually mean friends or allies? These four missionaries from Standing Rock gave not out of obligation, but out of love and joy and sacrifice. For those of you who are uninitiated, Facebook is a popular internet social networking site. It's a step beyond email because you can post photos and comments for everyone to see if they're your friend. And that's a big word on Facebook. So anyone who's registered on Facebook can send you a message inviting you or asking you to be their friend. And when they do, you get a message that John Urquhart wants to be your friend. We need to confirm that you are friends with John Urquhart. I have the option to confirm or ignore. And it strikes me that we face this decision as members of Christ's church. People may want to be our friends, and we choose to confirm or ignore. David Garland said, We are mistaken if we think that people are simply looking for friendly churches. They're looking for friends. As we look to Jesus as our example of godly virtue and friendship, we will be 
the Christ-like friends that our community of faith needs here at Calvary. And then with these friends that we gain together, we can walk from here with an attitude of openness to engage the stranger and make him a friend, make her a friend. Jesus said, love one another. This is how we show our friendship with God. Let's pray together. God of eternity and God of this second, we thank you for sharing your life with us through Jesus Christ, for becoming incarnate so that we might see you in a more perfect way. We thank you for inviting us to be your friend and ask for your help in confirming that and not ignoring your invitation. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and friend, Jesus Christ. Amen.